Father, we're so very thankful to you for your grace to us. We praise you for this morning and we thank you for your word and we ask that you would speak. Speak, O Lord. Speak to us, your people. Speak through me, your servant. Use me in the way you see fit. And I pray, O Lord, that you would work in our hearts and in our minds, that we would indeed exalt Jesus as Lord in all things. Amen. Do you realize that many couples within the church don't often experience God in their marriage? Nor do they experience God working through their marriage. And because of this, they're often frustrated. Frustrated with the lack of life, the goodness and blessing in their marriage. This morning, we're going to be looking at what is required for us to experience God in our marriage. As we've been looking at the series, it's all about experiencing God and how do we go about doing that in our daily lives. But this morning, we're going to look at that in particular in relationship to the marriage. But take heart, if you're not married, there's still lots of application and the principles stand the same for individuals. But in order to do that, we have to understand the basis that is in fact inherent in marriage. It's supposed to be the foundational element of marriage. And it's that two people who are married are actually one flesh. They come together and become one flesh. In Genesis 2.24... It says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What does that mean? What is that all about? That's a loaded statement, that these two should become one flesh, because it has so many implications to it. The Apostle Paul picks this verse up in Ephesians chapter 5 and says that this one flesh union God created in marriage was to foreshadow and speak of the union between Christ and the church. So as we see a man and a woman become one flesh in marriage, they're no longer two individuals. They were two, but they're no longer two. Now they're one. And they become one in name, in mission, in purpose, and in body. And as they do... They are to do so in such a way that mimics and manifests to the world Jesus and the church coming together as one. This is their calling, as Paul said in Ephesians 5. But in order to do this, there has to be, there must be, a union of mission, purpose, and direction with two people having two different roles and callings within that one mission. So it's not calling for absolute sameness. It's not not a Unitarian view of oneness, but a Trinitarian view of oneness. One in mission, one in purpose, one in body, one, one in direction, yet two diverse people, distinctly different, distinct callings, supporting that one mission. So if you have a married couple where they're both doing their own thing, their own way, on their own time, they might be married on paper, but they are denying their marriage by their actions. There are plenty of marriages where they agree, you know, the partners agree, each other, that you do your thing, I'll do my thing, and we will get along just fine. As long as your thing doesn't prevent me from doing my thing. This isn't a marriage. 
This is two people setting up an agreement to cohabitate and join together their bodies every now and then. Marriage is about oneness and singleness of purpose in all things. It requires that each person give up a whole lot of their own preferences, a whole lot of their own self-interest. And they die to themselves to give and to bless the other. So if a marriage isn't hard on your selfishness, there's a problem. If you don't find marriage difficult with your own self-will and your own self-agenda, perhaps you're not trying to unite enough. Because you do your thing, I do my thing, we'll go along just fine, is not a marriage. You take two people, these two individuals, and you, when you have two people, two individuals, you have two, two wills a lot of times, and they have to come together. But they, got, they don't just come together to say, hey, let's just come together, let's just come together, because we're supposed to come together. They come together on purpose, for a purpose. So they join together, and they're to head in the same direction. What is that direction? What, where are they supposed to go? Well, this is what they're supposed to do together. They're supposed to go on mission because they've been given actually one mission. Marriage has one mission. They're not just one flesh. They become one flesh to go on one mission. And when it comes to our mission, there are many different ways of stating it in the Bible, but ultimately it is this. This one mission is to serve the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10 says that whether we eat or whether we drink or whatever we do, we're to do it to the glory of God. The most fundamental basic things, our calling in doing it is to do it how and for what purpose? To glorify God. Romans 12.1 says that in view of God's mercy, in view of all that he's done for you in Christ Jesus, we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Listen to this. For this is proper and true worship. Offering your bodies to God, holy and pleasing to Him, living sacrifice, that's your spiritual act of worship. Saying, God, here I am, I'm all yours. 1 Corinthians 6 says that we are not our own. Why? Because we were bought with a price. The price of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are to glorify God with our bodies. Joshua stated the mission this way before Israel when he said the famous verse. You might even have it hanging in your home, right? What does he say? As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Any way you slice it, Our mission is to be on mission for God. We are His. So we're to say every day, every morning, every new day, Here I am, O Lord, holy and completely Yours. Do with me as You wish. I present my body to You as a living sacrifice. I'm Yours. We give everything that we have to Him Because He's given everything to us. Name one thing that you have that He hasn't given to you. He gives you everything. 
everything right now, you're sustained and you're upheld and you're fed and your neurons are firing and your heart's beating because he's giving it to you. Everything you've ever enjoyed is from his hand. Every good and perfect gift is from his hand. And we know that as we, you know, what's this, this, this mission, this purpose, to serve the Lord. Now, practically, what does that mean? Where do we go from here? How do we understand that? Well, we, we do understand that on the big scale, God, His will and His desire in this world is to reconcile the world to Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ. Who, Jesus, we know, is on mission through the church to overturn sin, death, and the devil. To, to take and redeem all things. But each of us are guided and directed on a daily basis within our different callings to fulfill that mission. A husband may be called to be a businessman and a wife may, uh, may manage the home, but both of them together as one flesh are on mission together. They're seeking to do the same thing to be on mission for God and to follow Him every day into the field in which He's called them. And there, there, there they offer themselves up to Him to follow Him, to do whatever He has for them. Within that, So even, even though God has called you to something, we think, okay, God has called me to, to do business, so I go and do business. Yes, you go and do business, but as you go and do business, you go on mission as a man who follows the Lord in everything, who serves the Lord in everything, who seeks the Lord in everything, who takes, lays hold of all things and does them as unto the Lord. That's our calling. That's our mission. Yet, for too many of us, our mission is simply, isn't it? Isn't this often the way it is? Just to get through the day? We want to get through homeschool with the kids. Get the dishes done, maybe. Get the promotion at work. Get a better job. Find a way to earn more money. Or simply just figure out how to get by. Even our prayers during the week are often focused to this end. They go something like this. Oh Lord, please help. I can't keep this up. Please, oh Lord, help. I don't know what to say. Oh, Lord, please allow me to get this promotion. Oh, Lord, please. Oh, Lord, please. And not, not that these prayers are wrong in and of themselves, but when it's pretty much what our prayers consist of, that's our prayer life, we're simply focused on trying to get by or how to get ahead or how to manage the day. And when this is what we're focused on, this is actually what our mission is, it's wrong. It's flat out wrong. And it's a problem because the main thing is no longer the main thing. And we're making our priorities our mission. And the mission becomes something other than serving the Lord. And it happens so easy, doesn't it? As Romans 12, 1 says, as we just finished reading, in view of God's mercy, we're to offer our bodies as living sacrificing sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is our spiritual act of worship. 
Yet, living our lives on mission for God like this is incredibly difficult. Impossible, in fact. Because we're constantly tempted. We're constantly tempted to be on mission for who? Me. Ourselves. We have mission drift. Daily. It takes a lot of intention and a lot of reminding to get us to the place where we wake up every morning and our feet hit the floor and we say, Lord Jesus, here I am, I'm yours. Here's your servant. Use me however you wish today. And as I go throughout the day, I seek to take all that I I am and all that I do and do it as unto you, O Lord. We often, our feet hit the bed, the first thing we think about is a cup of coffee and then we start planning how to get through the day. That's what we're like. And this is why we need to be constantly reminded of this one thing. Not only that, as in a marriage, that you, you, have, you have one flesh on one mission, but that you have one Lord. One Lord. And this is the reminder. This is the thing that we can't lose sight of. Jesus is our head. He is the one we serve. He is the one we glorify. He is the one we submit to in all things. He is the one in charge. And yes, Jesus did make husbands head of the household. But he did it for this reason. Because the husband was going to be responsible to make sure the family serves God and keeps Jesus as head and Lord. This is why he tells fathers in Ephesians 6, right after he says what he does about the husband and wife in Ephesians 5, he says, he says that they should not exasperate their children, but instead bring them up. What was their duty? He gives them a duty. The Lord says to them, even though they're heads of this household, that your duty is that you should bring your children up in the fear and education of the Lord. The primary focus of you, fathers, is to take your children and make sure that their primary focus is Jesus. This is what fathers are supposed to do. They're to be like the kings in Israel. They might have been king, but really what they were were sub-kings under God, right? And what were they responsible to do? The kings of Israel, their primary responsibility was to keep the nation following after God, the true king. If the king made it about them, then God would fight against them. And then what would happen? They would lose their kingdom. Every king would fall, would go down, if they started leading Israel away from the one true God. And it's no different in our homes. It's amazing how many men love the idea of being the head of a household. Wow, that that sounds great. And then we talk about wives are to submit and honor and respect their husbands in this role. So you have different roles and callings. But what are you called to do? What's the mission? If you don't get that straight in your head, if you don't understand who the Lord is and what you're called to be as a husband and what it means, it means you've been given responsibility. And your responsibility is to make sure, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. King Jesus rules in this home. King Jesus rules in this life. He is Lord. And so you lead the family by saying, as for me and my house is what we'll do, we'll serve the Lord. You you offer yourselves up on a continual basis. You lead the way. You remind the family, we we have become one and we have one mission. 
And we have one Lord. And Him we will serve. Him we kneel before. Him we praise and honor with our mouths. Him we follow. And they follow you as you follow Him. I think a lot of husbands probably need to repent often for taking charge, perhaps, and seeking to become the Lord. And we have to start leading our families to seek and to submit to follow Jesus on a daily basis. That that's where we, that's how we lead. We lead toward Jesus. Otherwise, Jesus will become nothing more than accessory to our busy married lives. Kind of like Bluetooth in your vehicle. It's nice to have, but it has nothing to do with the necessity and vitality of that vehicle. Likewise, I think so often it's Jesus is nice to have in times of trouble, but he's easy to put aside until then. This is why we go about our days as husbands and wife, caught up in whatever has our attention, whatever's yelling the loudest at the moment. And then when love, life grabs us by the throat and pins us on the ground and we're freaking out, what do we do? Oh, Jesus, please help. The problem is, this is treating Jesus like a lifeguard, not the Lord. There we are in the pool of life, trying to swim, and everything's fine as long as our head's above water. And then when we find ourselves in trouble, there Jesus is up on his perch with his life ring. Help, oh Jesus, throw me the life ring. Have you ever thought for a moment that you could be going through all the turmoil that you're going through in your life because you haven't learned yet to follow the Lord? God brings all kinds of things into our lives. And and when he brings them in, he brings them in for reasons, and some reasons we don't always understand. But, you know, fundamentally, we are a people who constantly drift from him being our Lord. We drift towards us being the Lord and Him being a lifeguard. Yet we don't understand so often that the Lord has brought what comes into our life for us. And so often we don't accept and we don't like the things in our lives, especially if they're not really pleasing, do we? Anybody really love the things that comes into the things that come into our lives that aren't really pleasing and delightful? None of us like it. But wasn't, doesn't it? Isn't it really telling how we react to it? Because often it's 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 really it's not Thy will be done, but My will be done. This is I don't want this, Lord. I don't like this. Get rid of it. Instead of Oh Lord. Please have mercy. Strengthen me underneath this burden. What it is you've brought into my life. Grant me grace so that I might walk through it and walk in it in honor to your name and glorify you through it. You, O Lord, have brought this upon me. It's just a different posture, a different mindset about how we interact with life. Are we a, and, and so as, as life comes and hits us, especially if you think in terms of a marriage, you know, you, is, do you have one flesh on one mission under one Lord? 
Is this what's directing the marriage? Or is it often just what each everybody's wanting? What does everybody want? Let's do what some, whoever, you know, whoever wants the thing the most kind of gets it. So the question is, what does a home look like that serves Jesus as Lord? What does it look like on a real practical level? What does it look like on a day-to-day basis? First of all, it looks like this. It looks like a family constantly having to reorient their lives toward Jesus as the Lord of the home and the Lord of their lives. It's a, it's a repenting, a turning. It's an acknowledging, oh, Lord Jesus, I have wanted my will. I have, I have like started to become and act like I'm the Lord, and you're nothing more than a lifeguard. Please forgive me. And it's a reorientation. It begins there. And if you don't, you have to do that often, right? We all have to do it. And as soon as you understand it, and as soon as you realize it, you say, oh, Lord, this is what I'm trying to do, and resubmit your life under him. It looks like husbands making sure of this, leading the family in this. We're seeking the Lord's will and the Lord's word. It, it looks like as a couple, you make a priority to what the Lord has spoken of in his word. You seek the Lord. You seek his word. You seek his will because you seek to follow and obey him. I want to know. Speak to me, O Lord. Show me. Reveal to me. It has to become a priority because the Lord speaks to us through this. He guides us. He directs us. He, he, he rebukes us. He corrects us. He teaches us. He admonishes us as we're under the word. If you're under the word, you're under the Lord. And it has to become a priority. It looks like praying with one another and reminding one another to prayerfully go throughout your day. Not just seeking the Lord's help when you're in trouble, but seeking to bring honor and glory to His name and follow His lead throughout the day. It means praying for your witness, for, your, for wisdom, for patience, or for boldness. For what purpose? All those things to obey His will, to follow Him in whatever field He has you go. It looks like discussing with each other, with husband and wife, how to glorify the Lord and serve Him and honor Him in certain situations, having discussions about this very topic. What does it mean? What does it look like in our home to honor, for us to honor Jesus as Lord? Those are important discussions. It looks like the two of you asking one another how it's going in your serving the Lord and submitting to the Lord. It's talking about what are your temptations, your fears, your struggles. What do you have a hard time with and praying for another, one another about these issues? Ultimately, there needs to be nothing more important in your home than serving the Lord. Because this is the only proper spiritual act of worship. They say, here we are, O Lord. We are yours. You've given us everything. And we give you everything. Here we are to serve you. In 1991, I had a really dramatic encounter with God, and I radically committed my life to Him. And I said to Him, Lord, everything I have is Yours. I am Yours completely. Whatever You have me do, I will do. And I just wanted to serve. And I served. And God, I says, if you, any opportunity, I'll say yes to. And, and, 
I said yes to things, and I served, and I helped, and I would cheerfully clean toilets. I didn't care. I was like, just, I wanted to serve the Lord. Sir, and the more I served, an interesting thing happened. People gave me more and more responsibilities and more and more things to do, and I did more and more things. And then it, what ended up happening is the transition took place over time that it became now all of a sudden, instead of being in like a role of just purely servant, I'm being put in roles to lead. And then as I get in roles to lead, something shifted and changed. Because there I started people, you know, the talk of the time and, and what it was you're supposed to do in leadership is, is you're to establish your vision and your dream for ministry and dream real big and so big that it's got to be a God-sized thing that only God can do. And, but I noticed something shifting. I went from being just this humble servant who did, wanted nothing but to serve to becoming this leader who thought what it meant to lead was to be the guy who develops vision and dreams and, and, and come up with my own ideas and my own plans. And they start getting excited about what you could do for God. For God. Like, I could do this and I could do it for Him. For His kingdom and His glory. And you get really excited about what you could do for God. And no longer is excited just about being a humble servant and serving. I'm now excited about all my dreams and all my plans and my visions for the kingdom of God. But instead of experiencing the joy and the delight of just simply humbly serving the Lord, I started experiencing the frustration of God not fulfilling my dreams. So God was now become something different. The Lord, I, it's almost a, in a weird sense, I become the Lord. And now I, and I pray to Him that, oh Lord, bless me, help me. Um, why are you not with me? Why are you not blessing me? And it's a subtle thing, and I, re- I look back and I realize how subtly that shift happens, but it's real. And not only is it real, but it's, it's ugly, because it becomes Jesus is no longer the Lord of your life. He's, he's now, you're the Lord, and He's the accessory. He's the lifeguard. He's the one who's supposed to come in and, and just help you do what it is you're doing. Isn't that an easy switch to make? Isn't it? I don't even know how it happened. But I, as I reflected on this, and I, and I realized that, you know, that, and I missed the days of humble service. It was like no recognition, nothing. All I could do was serve, and I enjoyed that, and I delighted in that. And it was like blessing in that. That's how easy it is for us to shift. Do you find that your life is filled with dreams and plans that you've come up with? Or is your life surrendered to the Lord Jesus so that you say, Oh Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Here I am. I submit my life to you. I'm your humble servant. Do with me what you will. And I gladly serve. That's an important question. Because we have to ask good questions because good questions reveal our hearts, don't they? The right question will expose us and show us what's what's real in here. And I don't think we should want anything other than what's real in here. And to understand that and know if we see that, you know what, Lord Jesus, I call you Lord Jesus, and I say Lord Jesus, and I pray Lord Jesus, but it's really been Lord Dean, help me Jesus. Coming to that reality and understanding that truth is one of the most important things that could ever happen. Because now you understand and you realize what you need to do to repent. Jesus 
needs to be on the throne and not you. And there's not a marriage here that will ever experience the glories and the goodness and the blessings of Jesus that doesn't have Jesus as Lord. You're one flesh with one mission under one Lord. If that gets twisted, if that gets tweaked, if that gets shifted, and all of a sudden it's about you and your will, it's about you and your dreams and your plans, it's about you and what you're fabricating even for God, eh, you will experience the frustration that the Lord will bring. The difficulties, the struggles that come with that because he's leading us to repentance. I can't stress it enough that if there's one thing that if you left here today and there's one thing that you did, you went home and as a married couple you guys said, Jesus must be Lord. Jesus must be holy and completely submitted to. We must give our lives We must give our home. We must give everything unto him. And we say, here I am, O Lord. Use me however you wish. I am completely yours. Do you know what what happens when we do that? Do you know what happens when you take and you offer your life completely to Christ like that? And you submit things? You will find there will be areas of your life that you go. And you don't want to let go of. And those are your idols. Those are the things that you love that must come down. Those are the things that you must offer to Him and give to Him. I'll guarantee you in probably every life here, if you were to hold, when you wholly and completely submit your life and all that's in it to the Lord and say, here I am, O Lord, all of me is for all of you, that there are things in your life that you struggle over, that you have a difficult, you have difficulty, difficulty honestly saying that. And those things, those things, if you have to weep over to let them go, whether they're children or whether they're homes or jobs or dreams or whatever they are, they need to be submitted under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But we almost kind of come full circle now because that is not going to happen. That won't happen unless you know how much he's loved you and loves you and you love him. Because unless you love him, unless you know how much he's loved you, unless you, you have a love for him, you won't trust him with it. Fundamental problem, folks, isn't it? We trust ourselves and our, and our possession of things much more than we trust Jesus and his possession of our things. Surrender is tough. It's not easy. Because you must die. But he who loses his life will gain it. And I pray that all of us would sincerely, we would, in this whether you're married or single, single, you've got to do the same thing. As a married couple, together, arm in arm, Get on your knees before the Lord Jesus and give him everything. And you've got to do that every morning because tomorrow you'll start picking up other idols 
And you've got to help one another, remind one another, and continue to put Jesus first and submit to him as Lord. May God grant us all grace to do this. Amen. Father, Jesus, you are Lord. And we don't make you Lord as somehow by us bowing to you become Lord. We submit to you as the Lord because you are. You're over all things. All things have been placed under your feet. You, Lord Jesus, are the King. You've given everything for us. You've loved us completely. So, oh Lord Jesus, grant us the grace to submit our lives wholly and completely to you, offering up to you our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you, because this is our only proper spiritual act of worship. Grant us the grace to do this, Lord. Because it's in Christ we ask. Amen.